1: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
1: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
3: To the legend behind Labamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.
0: I listened intently to the podcast and I thought about Matthew and Tracy Raquel and I thought had Matthew been thrown out of his crib in 1974-75 instead of 1971, I would suspect that the response would have been different.
5: I'm Nancy Glass, and this is Burden of Guilt. Bonus episode number one. Let's go back to 1974. In 1974, People magazine published its first issue with actress Mia Farrow on the cover. It was also the first time UPC codes appeared on packaged goods. And that summer, the Watergate scandal forced President Richard Nixon to resign. But a few months before that, he signed a groundbreaking piece of legislation, the Child Abuse Prevention and Treatment Act, known as CAPTA. CAPTA established a national definition of child abuse and provided federal funding to each state to prevent, identify, and treat abuse and neglect. So the question is, why did it take so long for the federal government to put rules in place? I pose that question to Dr. Mihail Raz, a physician and professor in public policy and health at the University of Rochester.
1: I think a lot of people pinpoint the interest in the history of child abuse to the 1962 article by C. Henry Kemp, who described a syndrome that he called the battered child syndrome. And this described a few cases of children who were intentionally hurt by the very people who were supposed to care for them. And this helped guide Policy.
5: Dr. Kemp's revolutionary study was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association. It shed light on something that had never really been in the public discussion before child abuse. His research showed how parents would switch doctors, falsify medical histories, and express concern for injuries that they themselves had caused. X rays confirmed what no one wanted to believe. Parents and foster parents were beating and sometimes killing their own children, often under the age of three.
1: And these stories were, you know, heartbreaking and kind of shocking the idea that people were supposed to care for kids and might hurt them.
5: After Dr. Kemp's 1962 study recognized child abuse as a medical condition, that's when change started to happen.
1: By the end of the 60s, every single state had passed a mandatory reporting law, which did not exist generally prior to that. Georgia, for instance, passed its first law in 1965, and states kind of traveling together who should be reporting, what situation should be reported.
5: The state of Georgia, where Matthew Golder and his family lived, required doctors, nurses, and public welfare workers to report suspected abuse of children under the age of 12 to the police or any child welfare agency. But in Matthew's case... No one really questioned the story that he was found comatose.
1: Back in 1971, the idea that somebody might think that a two-year-old could throw a baby with enough force to cause significant harm is certainly a misunderstanding of most things that are known in in and trauma, but also important to remember that in the 1970s, we didn't have specialists in child abuse. We were limited in the testing that was done and perhaps some embrace of this lack of knowledge because sometimes not knowing
5: feels better than really looking at what is terribly disturbing and seeing that as it is. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. And with every case I've covered, I've learned one thing your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. Home security isn't just about protecting your belongings, it's about safeguarding the people you love and creating a sense of control in an otherwise uncertain environment. Everyone deserves the peace of mind that comes with knowing their home is secure, which is why I believe Simply Safe is a necessity, not a luxury. With sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more, it blankets your entire home in security. The variety of indoor and outdoor cameras allow me to keep a watchful eye on my property day and night, and with 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day, I can rest assured knowing that help is always just a call away. With no contract and a 60-day money-back guarantee, you can try Simply Safe risk-free. Don't absolutely love it? Send the system back for a full refund. Get 20 percent off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/guilt. That's simplysafe.com/guilt. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
4: Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace.
3: Listen to Murder Homes on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. iHeart Podcast Awards 2023 Podcast of the Year Las Culturistas with SNL's Bowen Yang and comedian Matt Rogers. There's stuff happening in 2024 that we really need to address. Pop culture and huge guests like the latest episode with... The more I think about it, the more scared and nervous I get. Listen to the newest episode of Las Culturistas with Dua Lipa and all episodes on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Las Culturistas to start listening.
5: Jan Barry Sandlin ultimately was responsible for beating little Matthew and causing his death. I'm going to play some testimony that you didn't hear in the podcast earlier. It comes from Dr. Joe Burton, who became the medical examiner in the county a few years after Matthew died. During Jan's second trial in 1998, Dr. Burton was asked about his training and experience identifying child abuse back in 1971.
3: First, let me add that I had no exposure that I even recall in medical school about specifically child abuse, but I did when I was doing my fellowship in forensic pathology because we were asked as pathologists to decide how people were injured, children, adults, old people. But it was very minimal back at that time. So in the last two decades, a tremendous amount of information has been brought forward about all types of child abuse, about radiographic changes that are present in child abuse cases, about interpreting patterns of injury and mainly about making health care providers more aware of cases where child abuse may exist.
5: Let's talk about something else that absolutely floored me. The DeKalb County coroner listed Matthew's death as accidental. But here's the thing. That coroner in 1971 had absolutely no medical training. Zero. Here's more testimony from Dr. Burton.
3: Every county in the state of Georgia has an elected coroner. And in 1971, the coroner had to be 18 years of age and could never have been convicted of a felony. You could be the coroner if you ran and were elected. And the coroner had the power, at least, to determine what type of investigation might be done in a death. The coroner could write on the death certificate, and still can, a cause of death, a manner of death. In this case, DeKalb County in the early 1970s Utilized the Fulton County Medical Examiner's doctors just to do autopsies. So there was no real investigation of death.
5: Dr. Burton was then asked if he was surprised Matthew's death was listed as accidental.
3: It's unfortunate, but not surprising. There was no coordinated investigation of death in DeKalb County at that time. It was disjointed.
5: Unfortunate, but not surprising. That's tough to hear. But that's where things were at in 1971. No one really questioned what happened because no one was trained to ask. And there was no coordinated effort to ask.
3: There was no correlation of data between the pathologists, police, the coroner, physicians in the hospitals. It was a very disorganized way to try to arrive at sometimes complex answers about what happened to someone.
5: It's hard to blame the system for failing Matthew because there really wasn't a system in place in 1971 to report child abuse. 1970s
1: was a different time. You know, children would play unsupervised. They wouldn't have a car seat. You had paint on the walls that had lead in it. You know, the doctors would be smoking on rounds. Some of them might be smoking in the operating room. There was a lot less attention to safety and the impact on children for some of the choices that adults would make.
5: As Dr. Roz said, it was a different time back then, especially when it came to reporting and identifying child abuse.
1: Back in 1971, there was only one state that had a hotline for reporting child abuse, and that was Florida.
5: Florida was also the first state to air public service announcements on the radio.
1: It's kind of similar to today, you know, if you see something, say something, And I'm really encouraging people that just by making this phone call, they could help
5: families immensely. So that left families to handle allegations of abuse. And in this case, the family was far from functional.
1: I think back in that time, I'm sure that people were suspicious. But again, what do you do about it?
5: Colleen Ghibli-Reed is an assistant professor at the Kemp Center for the Prevention and Treatment of Child Abuse and Neglect.
1: I imagine there was suspicion that something was going on by professionals involved with this family, from the family members that was kind of insinuated that family members kind of thought that something's just not right here. I think that back then, people may have had suspicions, but they're like, well, what do I do? Who do I call? What do I do? How do I get involved? Because there wasn't the awareness of this. There wasn't the programs. There wasn't the, you know, campaigns. That just wasn't the case back then.
5: And that leads us back to what her colleague, Lisa Merkel-Hogin, said at the beginning of this episode.
0: I listened intently to the podcast, and I thought about Matthew and Tracy Raquel, and I thought had Matthew been thrown out of his crib in 1974-75 instead of 1971, I would suspect that the response would have been different because there at least would have been an agency with a multidisciplinary team that would pull in the coroner and the medical doctors and social workers and others to really take a deep dive into the injury, and then ultimately his death.
5: If you remember, doctors found a third-degree burn on Matthew's little foot. He had bruising on his body and even what appeared to be an old fracture to his clavicle.
0: Now we have child abuse fatality reviews in all states as well. So when severe harm and death occurs, there is a multidisciplinary team of professionals in every state slash community that do a deep dive into what happened. And I suspect they would have found the burns and they would have used radiology to see the severe harm and the shattered bones that that young four-month-old cherub had.
5: If little Matthew Golder had been killed a couple of years later, the entire outcome of this story might have been different. That is a horrible, shocking, and mind-numbing thought. Jan Barry Sandlin might have been investigated and prosecuted well before 1998, and Tracy Raquel wouldn't have lived with the burden of guilt that she might have been responsible for her brother's death. Stay tuned for Burden of Guilt, the documentary coming in 2024 and airing only on Paramount+. Plus. If you would like to reach out to the Burden of Guilt team, email us at burdenofguiltpod at gmail.com. That's burdenofguilt, P-O-D, at gmail.com. If you or someone you know is worried about maltreatment or suspect that a child is being abused or neglected, call the Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline. You can call or text 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-422-4453. One way to show support is by subscribing to our show on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review Burden of Guilt. Five-star reviews go a long way. A big thank you for listening. And also, be sure to check us out and follow us on Instagram at Glass Podcasts. Burden of Guilt is a production of Glass Podcasts, a division of Glass Entertainment Group in partnership with iHeart Podcasts. The show is hosted and executive produced by me, Nancy Glass. This episode was written and produced by Todd Gans. Our iHeart team is Allie Perry and Jessica Kreincheck. Special thanks to Tracy Raquel Burns and her husband, Bart. Audio editing and mixing by Matt Delvecchio and Nico Aruca. Burden of Guilt's theme composed by Oliver Baines. Music library provided by Myb Music. And for more podcasts from iHeart, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts,
2: discover a new educational and interactive podcast: Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids.